in the week of getting out of Mount Penang, I was on heroin, taking all these things to mask all of these um, feelings and, 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 you know, horrible memories that I had of these places, you know, to try and block it out. You know, next thing I knew, decades have gone by, you know, and um, I've wasted my life, these feelings and emotions and pain and what I went through. For me personally, opening up about it, talking about it has helped me dramatically. Young soldier of God. Steady march. Yo, it's your boy Dave here, and this is the Fallon Show. Hope all is going well out there. God bless you all. How about you introduce yourself, my brother, and where you're from? My name's Rixi Cesar Nino. I am from the eastern suburbs from uh, Bondi. Um, I was born in Colombia, in South America, in Bogota. Um, I was uh, uh, raised in an orphanage there um, for reasons unknown to me. Uh, my mother left me at an orphanage when I was uh, four, four or five days old. Um, so I stayed in that orphanage. It was raised by nuns. It was it was run by nuns. So it was raised by nuns. So it was a um, it was a very um, weird place in the 80s. So a family, a white family from Australia, came and adopted me. I was really sick as a child. I had a third world um, disease called Guardia. You get it through water. It's like barley belly, I guess. But as a child, having it. And then um, like having it for so long has given me lifelong problems with my stomach, you know, like being sick, vomiting, I can't drink alcohol, stuff like that. So they adopted me, brought me back to Australia, you know, raised me well. I have a 20 year old son now myself, who thank the Lord has not gone down the same path as me, but I have spent 17 years of his life in prison. All my visits with my son growing up have been in prison you know so this is the brother wixie so um like you just said so he's originally from colombia um he ended up moving to sydney um he was adopted like he just said and um brought to sydney brought to australia um man it's good to have you on the show brother how's your day going anyway oh it's was, it's going really good brother really good i'm very excited to hear from you you know um i'm glad to you know i've watched a lot of uh a lot of your podcasts and i uh, you know i think you um do a really good job getting it out there, you know, letting people know different countries, what, what's the go here in different countries, how does it work, kind of things like that. I think it's really a good thing what you're doing, you know? Uh, thank you, brother. Now, I appreciate that, especially coming from you, brother. So um, we've got a mutual friend, uh, another brother that's been on the show, um, Murchie. So he was the one that sort of made this introduction. So big shout out to the brother there. He spoke very highly of you, my brother Wixie. So it's awesome what? again to, to have you on the show. <clears throat> Uh, one thing I just want to touch down with Murchie is um, Murchie's a, a younger inmate to me. I think he's probably 15 years younger than me. And in jail, I had nothing but time for this guy. Like, he's doing so well outside now working. He's about to have a baby. He's doing so well for himself that I speak to him daily and I'm so happy and proud of him of where he's at now at the point of his life. Like, at his age, he's got his head screwed on that he's going places. Yeah, no, nah, that's beautiful, brother. And I mean, um, man, again, it's good to have you on the show, brother. Obviously, the brother here does have a reputation. Um, on TikTok, um, go hit him up. It's Hispanic two one zero. So I'll leave the yeah. I'll leave I'll leave the link to that in the description. Thank so you. the uh, the brother here is um, you know, he's a he's a known name over there in Sydney. So I'm sure that a lot of brothers and um, even a lot of sisters are, are gonna watch this and um, be inspired by by your story and what you have to say, brother. Like he just said in the beginning. He's been through a lot in life. He's been through the boys' homes. He's been to pretty much every jail that they have there in New South Wales, maximum security. Um, and he's 
He's actually a, he's actually close with also another friend of the show, Russell Mansa. So Russell big Mansa, shout out. Yeah, big, big shout out to Russell. Um, I'll just touch briefly on that. 2016, they had a royal commission into institutional abuse in Australia. Um, Russell, in the wake of that commission, started uh, the Voice of a Survivor, a group that actually helps with the compensation process of you know people who have been abused. Um, he does a great job. He um, he was a well-respected uh, person in jail um, uh, and he's still very well-respected now and actually reached out to me and gave me a job um, working with the voice of a survivor. So that's why I'm so passionate now about this part of my life. Now that everything's kind of settled down, I can move forward, back, change with Russell's help as well. You know, like hopefully deter some of the kids today that jail and crime is finished. There is nothing left to do anymore. Like everywhere, anything that gets done in Australia, there's about 50 cameras that see you. You know what I mean? Like it's like, it's it's a big, big difference from when we were growing up as kids. The voice of a survivor. It's the voice of a survivor.com, isn't it, brother? Yeah, it's the voice of a survivor. You can Google it, the voice of a survivor and or anything russell manson just type his name into google it'll come up straight away the voice of a survivor the picture of the owl um and um they are doing absolutely great work with helping kids who have been abused and um you know but there also is a um a flip side to that coin okay well, i think i personally believe that the government the amount of people i know who have gotten big compensation claims have gotten out of prison and have started using an overdose and died. All right. Um, which is, you know, it's terrible. It's horrible. You know, like, um, so, you know, you know, you, you have people who have done, you know, 20 plus years jail, you know, they've never had anything to their name besides a doll check. Then they get given $400,000 and don't know what to do with it. It's like, it's, it, it's, it's like um, throwing gasoline on a fire for some people, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. That's that's very sad, my bro. That's that's very sad. Um, but look, I mean, again, you know, if 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 you have been through institutional abuse here in New Zealand as well, even for my New Zealand viewers, I highly recommend going to the Voice of a Survivor because um, they're just good heads. You know what I mean? You got Wixie here. You got, you got Russell Mansa there. You know what I mean? Um, Brent Simpson as well. All people who have been on the show. So, just real good blokes that are that are a part of it and um you know just just um yeah and it's it's not weak to speak about those sort of things you know Wixie, the, 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 the brother himself here has a story um of what he suffered at the hands of the state and um what happened a result as a result of that which is 17 years in prison across the state in new south wales to me it's just such a wasted life because really Jail is like the most boring place because nothing happens, but it's the most dangerous place because anything can happen. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's, you know, a, a fight will happen over a piece of toast. And next thing, knives are getting pulled and silly stuff like that. There's a lot of gangs in jail now. Um, jail has definitely changed um, dramatically in the past 23 years that I've been going in and out of prison. Um when I first came to prison, young offenders for us was Park Lee. It wasn't Windsor. So we came from Juvie straight to Park Lee. So because I'd done quite an amount of time in boys' homes, a lot of the boys who transitioned at the same time as me to jail, we all arrived at Park Lee together. So, um, you know, 
I already knew a lot of heads and this and that. But I think the difference was back then to now was like, um, you know, back then I kind of like watched, you know, who was who, obviously respected your elders, um, spoke politely, a please and a thank you, go a long way, you know, where today as, you know, an 18-year-old will say to a 45-year-old, hey, got a pack of noodles or any, you know, like rudely, got some, you know, like not where a please and a thank you would be like, oh, what would you, you know, what, what would you like, you know? Where older crims will always help out another crim who's doing, who's coming to a centre, hasn't got their property, they'll get them a telly, a jug, whatever they need. That kind of stuff isn't like, the saddest part about the New South Wales prison system, which I'm sure it's Australian-wide, um, maybe New Zealand as well, I don't know. Um I don't know how to put it, but sort of like if you are somebody who gets a lot of butte, you can sort of float around the system in the main, charged with rape. Um, you can come from protection back to the main. If you're getting a lot of butte and you're supporting, you know, a couple of heavy habits, you're, you've got the past. You know what I mean? Where yeah. 23 years ago, mate, it would have been bang, bang, see you later on your, you know, that's it. Where that's that has been a the system has changed for the worst in every way. Obviously, you're part of the voice of a survivor, so you um, you, you have your story of of um, how you've entered into that space, brother. And um, I mean, you touched on it at the start. So, I mean, to go into that, brother. So, I mean, from there, bro. So, how was it for you going into Australia and um, you know, from Colombia and obviously being adopted? Oh. And so, how was that for you, brother? Oh, it was huge. It's been, I cannot tell you enough how dramatic, traumatizing, wondering, um, you know, countless, uh, it's still to this day, it, 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 it was a very hard transition to come from a Spanish speaking country where everyone's dark or whatever to a white community, you know, where it's, it's you're out of place. You know what I mean? It's like, why is this kid dark? He goes to a school with white people. I didn't fit in from the word go. It just, nothing felt right for me. I have a sister who's adopted. She's doing well in life, but me, I just veered the wrong way pretty much as soon as I could really, you know, like it was quite sad really. Cause I could have, um, I could have done anything with my life, but uh, hopefully this second chapter of my life beginning now, you know, we'll um, we'll show that. You know, my legacy yeah. will be something different. Different. <laughs> uh, I got the shivers. You say that one, brother. I can feel it, mate. No, that's that's an awesome mentality, brother. Because life's just beginning for you, brother. You know, absolutely. The new chapter, man. A new story. So I mean, um, bro. So it's like so from there. Well, bro, can I ask? So your TikTok name is Hispanic Two One O, brother. So what what was yeah. what's Two One O to us Two One O mean? So uh, it's it's two ten. So back in the nineties. Um, and people who are, old, are younger now wouldn't know, but back in the nineties, there was a, a few tilts, a few tills that had Pacific keys that would open the till if the no sales was locked. You had an IBM key, which for all the IBM uh, tills, you had the 010 key, then you had a 210 key, which opened all the like the all the 210 tills. So everyone back in the early nineties or whatever. And it was started into like a crew by one of the boys, the city boys. One of the city boys in particular, who is still around today, has huge respect throughout Australia wide. Um, you know, um, he um, he's definitely uh, a pioneer in every 
aspect of the game um, still to this day is a huge name and he started that crew. How, what was your introduction into that world? Well, because I grew up in the Eastern beaches, um, the city Woolloomooloo was never very far away. It was 10 minutes down the road, right? <clears throat> you know, it glebes half an hour down the road. So um, for me to venture out just a tiny bit into the city, and meet some of these boys who were going out searching, making money. I learned a lot off them. Um, you know, I went out and, uh, and and on my own after learning a lot and did a lot of my own things, done a lot of my own earns. Went out. I'm, I, I like to do things one out. I don't like having you know coes and whatnot. I like to do things by myself, make my own money. Um, but definitely those early years, the teenage years where like, you know, you, you can look back, uh, we had a show in Australia in the nineties called Australia's Most Wanted. And everybody, everybody, um, yeah, everybody used to watch this show in juvie and you could pick who these people were, Robin Banks. They just had a hat on and glasses and you'd be like, that's such and such, that's such and such. We knew everyone. When that show stopped, it sort of, you know, finished. And as well, a big part of the early nineties was the graffiti scene here in all of Australia, but Sydney, you know, we, there was, you know, you had UTB, which was like United Tongan Brothers. They were like Burwood, you know, West Ride Boys, which every, they had a big reputation. Um, they were RBS. Um, you had FUA, which was like a Sydney crew, a lot of Islanders. Um, you know, PSK was the Eastern Suburbs. Um, um, but those, so UTB stood for United Tongan Brothers or Untouchables. FUA stood for Fuck Yous All. PSK stood for Parkside Kings or Parkside Killers. PTK was like primetime killers. You had older crews like RCF, shout out to Icy, RCF, uh, Rock City Funk, PIC. These were crews that were around in the early 80s, you know, that kids like me growing up by 89, 90 was interested, you know, was very interested in graffiti and getting out and getting it up. And it was almost part and parcel with searching and crime here in the 90s if you did crime and put up graffiti um like you needed to be um um yeah like uh, you have to be part of some a crew you know what i mean like you needed to represent something or someone or a crew you know you'd go out you have battles and whatnot and the funniest thing was that we had on a on mardi gras night here in uh sydney oxford street down the bottom of hyde park right it was really funny you, you would get Every crew from every, so you'd have Redfern, Glebe, Willow, Westride, Eastern Suburbs, all hanging in different areas of the of a park, Hyde Park. Like, you know, sometimes fights would break out, but it was always this night where people would all congregate in a park where it was like stuff that you just don't even hear of or see anymore. Like all these postcode war stuff that goes on now, that was never around back then. No one cared where your postcode, if you were from the city, you were from the city and that was it. You know, the boys that you knew from juvie or jail, that's who you hung around, I guess. Yeah. 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 That was, that was huge. Yeah. So that's a lot of history there, man. A lot of history in Sydney there. So, I mean, um, well, bro. So, all right. So then what was your introduction into the, into the youth justice system, my bro? And, and how did that sort of, how did that sort of go? Okay. Um, it's really weird. I, um, I had a couple of charges as a juvenile, as like a 14 year old shitty little charges, malicious damage, nothing serious. We had an incident on a bus 
um, there was about four of us. We were younger. These 18-year-old boys started teasing one of my friends. So he had a knife on him. I said, give me the knife. So I turned the knife around to the blunt edge. I went up behind him quietly. I put it to his throat on the bus. I would have been 15 or 14. The bus was full. The bus driver stopped the bus. I said, oh, you want me to cut your throat? You want to bag my mate? Blah, blah. You think we're fucking idiots? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we got off the bus. Six weeks later, I'm under arrest uh, out at Sutherland. I was searching, got arrested. Um, and I got refused bail. And I got 12 months straight off the bat just for that assault. I stayed at Minda in uh, Talbot um, for about, I think, roughly four months. Once I turned 16, you had to go to Mount Penang. So Mount Penang now is called Baxter. But Mount Penang was a was the Gosford boys' homes that was open in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, where every old school criminal, like from Nettie Smith to whoever else is out there, who went, all went through these boys' homes, which was full of sexual predators who sought after these jobs to abuse younger boys, you know? And that's what it was, you know? It was a sadistic old place run with an old regiment where fights were fine, you know, you'd have an argument. The workers were fine. Move the beds apart, square up, punch on. Once someone drops, it's over. Shake hands, that's it. Where now I hear they have these things in juvie called conflict resolution. They've shut down all of those old centres that were breeding grounds for pedophiles. But now, you know, as we see coming out of a lot of the, um, the newer centres today, kids are still getting abused in these centres by women and men, you know. And um, I think it's a really, really big, it's a really big thing because for the government to be paying out people compensation money for people who have now been charged with, you know, pedophile charges, raping young boys, you know, there's a lot of bashings that went on in juvie, you know, um, it was, it was a dramatic place for that respect that, you know, you got, you could like, by a 45-year-old man, imagine now a 45-year-old man holding down a 16-year-old kid who weighs 65 kilos. You know what I mean? It's it's quite un, it's quite a un, an unbalanced uh, you know um, uh, situation. So yeah. it was very it was very and it was a very isolated place, Mount Penang. So really, it was a breeding ground for these predators and. One particular person who, who ran the place for, I think, a good 20 years has been charged um, with multiple sexual, multiple sexual charges dating back to the 70s, 80s and 90s. Then he left uh, Mount Penang and got an order of Australia. What? Up, yes, yes. Opened up a uh, centre for homeless kids under 18. Was obviously abusing boys there as well. Um, and then in the 2016 Royal Commission, this all came out and uh, he was charged with, um, you know, historical sexual offences from the 70s, 80s and 90s. Um, then it came out in all centres. There was people being named everywhere. Um, charges were being laid, you know, um, and then the government had to do something. They started the Royal Commission. Uh, Russell was brave enough, you know, to, um, you know, put his hand up there and be like, you know, yes, this happened to me. And opened the door to a lot of us other inmates who, like, I just made it there to Mount Penang before it closed. Like, I was there in 96, 97. 
by 99, I think they shut Mount Penang down and built a whole new jail there for Juvie called Baxter. The messed up thing is a lot of these abusers are in positions where they work with children and are looked at like they're doing these good things. They're opening homeless shelters. They're doing things like this and they're abusers themselves. I've had people here in New Zealand, man, who have um, suffered at the hands in boys' homes as well, you know what I mean, who have been abused by... Um, you know, workers and things like that. And some of these workers are still working with children. The thing is they try and take it to the police, you know what I mean? And um, yeah. because of the uh, unreliability of the witnesses, because they've done all this jail, because of what's happened to them, they're unreliable, you know what I mean? So nothing even happens to these um, to these perpetrators. There's actually a Royal Commission going on here in New Zealand right now. Um, which I'll is getting it. it's 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 getting no media attention whatsoever here in New Zealand. So again, if you have been for any sort of abuse in state care, I highly recommend going to the Voice of of a Survivor, and um, you know, I'm sure that you know the Voice of a Survivor will be able to point you in the in the direction if they can't help you d directly for my New Zealand viewers. But I mean, yeah. well, bro, so I mean, well, um, you know. So you were abused in in the boys' home. I was well. abused. I was abused um, as a fifteen year old at uh, Minda. Then I was, um, you know, physically abused um, at Mount Penang. Um, got out of Mount Penang. Um, I think I'd say six months before my eighteenth birthday. Um, within a week of getting out of Mount Penang, I was on heroin. I was on rohypnol, taking all these things to mask all of these um, feelings and. And, and, you know, horrible memories that I had of these places, you know, to try and block it out. You know, next thing I knew, decades have gone by, you know, and um, I've wasted my life just, you know, trying to mask and uh, hide these feelings and emotions and pain and what I went through, where I say now that counselling and talking about it is huge. Like, for me personally, opening up about it, talking about it, has helped me dramatically like it has definitely changed my life and i've had a new perspective on life after going through this process it was huge for there to be any sorts of healing it has to be spoken on absolutely and just one thing i'll just touch on quickly if you were here in australia and abused in a juvenile justice center or church docs foster care pcyc wherever and you have now been deported to Fiji, New Zealand, wherever, you can still lodge a claim here in Australia for that time you were abused and be paid in another country because you have only been deported because of, you know, obviously, you know, 09 and, you know, the airport thing that happened with the, you know, the big brawl there changed a lot of laws, 501s, a lot of them just started turning up. Um, deportees and a lot of them get stuck in Christmas uh, Island or Villawood or you know these places for years trying to uh, get back into Australia and um, yeah so it's I think um, yeah you're talking about it and uh, whatnot is is a big big for me personally was huge changed my life for sure definitely so definitely I, I, so I guess from there brother so you know you've gone through those traumatic events you've gone through abuse you've got it now, you're masking it now with heroin. So, I mean, how did that culminate in the next years of, of your adult life, bro? Okay. Um, the, I just got out. I've been out now. I got out on May the 5th this year. So I've only been out now nearly, oh, it's just over six months now that I've been out. Okay. Um, so I stopped using heroin probably about 10 years ago. 
this sentence, um, I've got eight years. Uh, I've got three years parole now outside. So I'm serving parole. Parole couldn't be happier with me. They, they, they're just like, we can't believe you're doing so well. You're working. You know, you know, you've got clean urines. You're not using. That part of my life is finished. Like, like not only do I have a uh, 20, 20 year old son who's about to turn 21, I have a four year old grandson um, who, um, you know, is the most beautiful kid. And, you know, missing those years with my son and only seeing him in jail and for five minutes here, five minutes there, you know, and then now watching him with his son, how hands-on he is, it's it's a very depressing, it's a very, um, a very sad place that, you know, that I go to a lot, you know, reflecting on that, that what I have, um, like, lost and what I have missed out on not being there for my son, you know? How were those initial years, man, after the abuse and, and you know, getting out? Was it just jail, at, you know, jail and... Look, um, it was, I'd say for a good six years, I had nightmares um, that were dramatic nightmares where I'd wake up in sweats, um, you know, where they were horrible, horrible times, um, you know, and um, but jail was so different back then that, there was still like, um, you know, boys being raped in jail in the nineties. I don't know what goes on today. I'd say, I don't know. But back then it was still a thing where there were certain older inmates still floating around the system that are now dead or whatnot, you know, that raped younger boys in jail. You know, they, um, they would, uh, and it was quite bizarre that like some of these yards were set up for young offenders, young offenders between 18, I think to 25 was young offenders. And the adult mentors they had were rapists. So you're putting a sex offender in with young boys to take his pick from the weakest link. You're coming to out with me and everybody knows what's going on, you know, and it's, it's been ridiculous. And now like a lot of boys, you know, take it into their own hands and will deal with it and whatnot. But like I said before, if you have a steady, uh, you know, thing income of dupe in the system, You've got that green light pass ticket. You know, the the main is full of rapists because of, for that reason. And um, the jail, like, has just changed so dramatically that I don't fit in anymore. I'm old. Like, in most of the centres I go to, my min number's in the top 10 lowest in the jail, like, in the wing. You know, it's, it's I don't fit in anymore. My generation, they're gone. They're finished. A lot of them have got jobs. They work. Um yeah, and it's really sad to see, you know, a couple of those older inmates who are still coming to jail at 60, 65, 70 and have min numbers that are so low that you know that they've been in jail back then and they, it's just, um, you know, it's jail now is, is a, um, it's probably more dangerous now than it was back then. Just for this, just for the certain gangs that are getting around the system now, the postcode wars, obviously, you know yourself, you've done a lot of interviews with people here in you know, Sydney, Australia. And uh, there's a lot of groups and crews that have formed that take up, uh, you know, wars inside jails and are quite violent and um, are quite brutal. Yeah. You know, and I feel sorry for the youth of today that like, you know, that the, there's so many shootings happening and killings that these young kids are getting tied up in and used for... You know, just for, for other people's gains, so they don't have to do the time. You know, yeah. and it's 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 actually getting out of control here in uh 
in, in Sydney, New South Wales, with uh, all these uh, postcode wars, rap wars, you know, it's um, turned quite violent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's across the board as well, man. I mean, here, oh, in, New yeah. here in New Zealand, bro, people are running amok, man. It's just um, the world's getting crazy out there, bro. It's, it's, you know, that's why, you know, brothers like you, you know, brothers like other people have been on the show, you know, it's it's needed, bro, to share those stories, you know what I mean, and um, show the realities of that life. I mean, bro, how was it for you going into the system as a Hispanic brother? You know what I mean? Is Was there a lot of other Hispanic people in there or... Look, I'd say the city boys, or yeah, well, look, obviously I stuck, you know, yeah, with the city boys. The boys I knew from the city always hang together in jail. You know, you had, you know, the country boys, city boys, whatnot. I always hang around the city boys in jail, um, and um, like being South American, you're a minority in jail. I've probably met, I'd say, five Colombians in my time in, you know, over coming to prison for twenty three years. I probably met maybe six Colombians and they have been caught at the border with Coke and are doing either life for 30 years or 20 years, you know, but they're not, there was only one other person who is in jail now in Melbourne who was around back then. But a lot of, um, I identified because of the color of my skin. I obviously identified a lot with, um, Aboriginal inmates, Islander inmates, um, um, other inmates that that weren't Aussie, you know. Yeah, I, identif I identified more with hanging with people of my own color skin than white people that I just didn't feel I fit in. I fitted in with, you know. It was very awkward for me. If I could do my time again, I would have gone and left school, got an apprenticeship at sixteen, done that apprenticeship, and worked. And then at thirty, already been fully qualified, made good money, you know. I could slowly settle down, be the boss of people who are twice my age, you know, and people gave me this advice, but I thought I knew better. You know, you always think when you're younger, you know better. You, I remember coming to jail 18, looking at 45-year-olds my age and thinking, ah, they're 40 years old. They don't know what they're talking about. They're dinosaurs. They don't even listen to them, like, not to their face, but to people my own age. I'd be like, they're 40 years old, mate. My dad's 40. Don't, like... <laughs> And, and so now I know that's obviously how I get spoken about in jail. Like I see my min number and, the, and my age and they think, oh, you got, you're going great. You got grandkids. Like, like it's finished. Like it, it, it's a sad life. If you're still coming to jail now at this age, I think that, you know, you really need to do some soul searching and um, try and, you know, like find something that interests you other than, jail how was your relationship with your adopted family are you still in contact with, with them my bro or? um yeah well um my father i'm very close to he the rest of my family wiped me i'd say in the early 2000s like i was no longer invited i was no longer welcome in people's houses i was like you know nah he's not welcome here uh so my relationship with my father, he never gave up on me till this day and is now wow. so happy and proud of me of where I'm at that yeah. it, it, it brings tears to his eyes, which moves me and makes me be like, all I wanted to ever do was make my dad proud. You know, yeah. like my relationship with my mother was a different one. I, it was a very um, complex relationship. Um, you know, she had her own issues growing up, but um, my father was definitely 
was my rock and was the reason why I think that any goodness I had in me came from him, definitely raising me, showing me this and that, what I never showed my son. I think that my father was a, a massive influence on my life. Well, I mean, brother, from there, man, I mean, bro, you've only been out six months, man, you know what I mean, bro? So you're still fresh out, man. So, I mean, how, how has the last six months been, man? And, and how's the future looking? Well, the last six months, um, imagine, you know, like I said before, you know, people, they've never had large amounts of money. They get out of jail. There's yeah. $350,000. What I did, which I think was a smart move, was I gave the majority of it to my dad to hold. So I thought, okay, give me 20 grand. Let's see what I do with that 20 grand in a little bit. I got onto the pokies, <laughs> which was I wasted a lot of money on the pokies. I stayed in the Meriton apartments for like four months, which cost a lot of money. But I still got everything done that I wanted to do with that money. Um, fixed my teeth, got a car you know, got nice things to show for it. I still have a, you know, a bit of money left over, but I, now I work um, and I have an income and I, I say going to work every day is so much more rewarding than, you know, trying to plan a crime that you're going to get pinched for anyway. <laughs> you know? Exactly, yeah. Like you, you've got people shooting someone in one street, running down the next street and the hoodie comes off and you see he's got blonde hair. Like there's cameras and the doorbells on a, on most houses have cameras, like some it's most cameras cars everywhere. Have, in the, yeah, it's, it's right, like, and the cars people got all those dash cams now, mate. They got, got everything. They they go twenty four seven. You know, they record everything. You know, so yeah, it's um, it's it's a new it's a new time. It's a new era. <laughs> well, I mean, you so say you're you're doing mentoring now as well, is it? Oh, you're working towards. Yeah. No, no, I'm actually um, starting a, um, a group. Uh, not, so not a group. I'm actually starting a, um, a degree like in, in counseling. Wow. So, yeah, I, I go um, to TAFE as well now. I'm doing it like part-time. I do it three days a week. But I want to, um, you know, within the next five years, have a accomplished and have a degree in counseling like Russell does where he can go into juvenile justice centres, into jails after 10 years of being clean and speak to these younger inmates and say, look, you know, been there, done it. It doesn't work. There are better things out there in life than, you know, flashy cars that you've had from, you know, whatever, however you've got it or whatever. There's so much more in life that is so much more valuable, like family, you know, friends. Um, you know, like I'd say growing up, okay, my first friend, died at the age of 14 or 13 of a heroin overdose when I was in juvie. So the amount of friends that I've grown up with, say 20 of us, there's probably three of us left out of that group that aren't dead from heroin overdoses. Or another Colombian guy from Woolloomooloo who was a very good friend of mine whose family actually helped my family get in touch with Colombia. His name was Edison. He was from Woolloomooloo. He was not a crim, but he grew up in that um, area. He was in a hottie with another guy, got pulled over. The coppers pulled their guns, get out of the car. He went to take off his seatbelt. They thought he was going for a gun and shot him twice in the neck, in the face, and died instantly. From there, man, we're sort of coming towards the end here, my bro. So, I mean, 
Brother, what, do, do you have any messages that you want to put out there, brother? I mean, obviously, you know, some pe a lot of people are going to watch this, man. So, I mean, uh, man, a lot of people are going to be inspired by what you have to say and things, brother. So, I mean, do you have any messages that you want to put out there, brother? Um, well, I just like to, you know, let, you know, people know. And, you know, on especially being on all these um, social media sites, you know, a lot of people like to point the blame at parents. And they say, why didn't you lock his mobile phone? Why didn't you restrict it to this to that like what you don't think that kid goes to school and has a friend whose phone he can get on and go onto it these these, these changes need to start happening at the age of 10 11 12 before they enter the boys homes because once they enter the boys homes it's gonna be a very tricky situation to not go to jail and not go down that path of life and these boys don't know the jail that used to be that we used to have and think this is jail when it's not. It's 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 jail has turned me off so much that going to work every day is so much more fulfilling and rewarding. And you know, I do regular therapy, regular counts regular counseling, still talking about stuff that happened twenty seven years ago, you know, that I'm still dealing with. And um but just to, uh, you know, shout out to Russell Manta and the voice of the survivor and the whole team there that work there. They're doing, you know, absolutely wonderful things and they're helping our boys, you know, who need help. And I would say, you know, if you've been deported and you did your time here in juvie or were abused, you can still search voice of the survivor at Russell Manta and get your claim started from overseas or from wherever you are now. I think the more you keep it bottled up and the more you don't talk about it, the more um, it eats you up inside and the more it destroys you, you know? Um, I never believed in counselling for a long time until I finished this claim process and started actually opening up about it and found that, holy shit, this has really taken a load off my shoulders, knowing that it's not just me. I wasn't the one. It, wouldn't, it wasn't just me being abused. So it was half of the other people here, you know? Yeah. Whether it be whether it be sexually, physically, emotionally, whatever, you know, like it's a huge thing. And counselling, I think, um, you know, is a massive, massive part to rehabilitation. You know, breaking it down and working through it step by step. Thank you, Wixie. Nothing but love and respect, my bro. Chow. Likewise, to you too. Much respect, and thank you very much for having me on your show. Cheers, brother. See you later, my brother.